the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. We're going through the book Ecclesiastes, which is written by um, King Solomon, and it's called Vapor. This series is called Vapor, because when we read in the English Bible, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He doesn't actually say that. In his original language, what he says is vapor of vapors, all is vapor. That everything in life is vapor. We talked about some things last week that are vapor, and this week we're going to move on to a couple more things. He says vapor 38 times in the book. So he calls out a lot of things vapor. Now, a lot of people, I said this last week, find this book really depressing. And the reason they find it depressing is because actually what happens is as you read through it and you find out things that you thought really meant a lot actually mean nothing. And it makes you feel depressed because you're like, what, I've invested my whole life in this system and this guy's telling me that it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. So actually when you read this book, it can give the illusion of being depressing, but actually it's not depressing. This book is liberating. Last year, 5,872 people committed suicide 75% of those were men. And most often it's because they felt they mean less. And most often the cases, meaningless things, made them believe that they mean less. And the problem in life is so often you and I get so invested in things that we think have real value and real meaning and we feel like we are worth less, but actually the thing that we're feeling worth less because of is actually meaningless. And so actually when we read Ecclesiastes, what happens with Solomon is you've got a guy who is a baller, a guy who's got power, a guy who's got so many side chicks, it's ridiculous. I mean, we're talking like close to a thousand. This guy is cray cray. I'm including wives in with the side chicks, but hey, you know, whatevs. It's just, when you get to that many, it's just, it's just ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's just crazy. And he's calling all this stuff vapor. When we read vanity, it doesn't really do it for us because the word vanity in the English language is a word that we embrace today. Like, you know, Vanity Magazine, Vanity Fair. Um, oh, 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 yeah, I had some fair cash. Oh, it's just Vanity, darling, just Vanity. You know, we see it so differently in, in the Western world, how we view the world to how he used it. So that's why we're using the va- word vapor the whole time. So the first thing I want to talk about is work it. You've got to work it. Because in society, that's how we do things. In society, the first thing we do when we meet someone is we say, what do you do? What do you do? The problem with saying what do you do is sometimes people are doing something that isn't their entire passion. It doesn't summarize who they are. It's not the thing for them that defines them. All those guys who want to be actors or actresses that are doing a waiting job or doing this or doing that. They're just filling in the times they've got the time in the day to dedicate themselves to what it is they're pursuing. You go up to them and say, what do you do? They're they're kind of stuck because they've got to say that and then the way people look at them, the way people treat them. It's It's a strange one. For a couple of years now, I've been going to people like, hey, what are you passionate about? What do you care about? Because often the thing someone wants to talk about isn't necessarily their work. You know, not everyone goes all the way through school, becomes a lawyer um, for the cause of justice and defending those they feel is innocent and wants to sit there and talk about their work. For some people, talking about their work is unbelievably painful because it's like, oh, that thing I do just to pay bills that I absolutely detest and despise and find no value in. Thank you so much for making that the first point of engagement for this entire conversation and for getting to know me, define me, and judge me by this one pure thing. So it doesn't really work. And Solomon saw that because he says in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work came from a man's envy of his neighbor. Boom, keeping up the Kardashians. This is also 
vapor and striving after the wind. This is vapor and striving after the wind. Actually, you know what? It's so funny because this verse, I think, if you really think about it, it's so true of all of us. Who, who's had like a, a moment where someone, you're in the room and you're there and someone tells someone across the room extremely loudly like, oh, the new car's coming on Thursday. And the other person says, you told me yesterday. And then the person's like, oh, 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 did I? Did I? They, did, they were not informing that person that the new car comes on Thursday. They wanted you to know. Oh, just booked a holiday to, to Mauritius. You know, five star, five star. Yeah, you told me yesterday. Oh, man, doing it again. How many times do you walk in those situations? How many times do people, like, take a selfie, tag you in it, and you're not there? Oh, man, we're just chilling. Thought you should know. Oh, my gosh. It's vapor, it's vapor. How many times do we have these moments? Man, it's just crazy. We, we get, we get in, a, in, a, in a system of things where the thing that strives us, if we look at boxing, if we look at football, if we look at Messi and Ronaldo, the two best players on the planet, so hard to call it between them. Man, it's that envy of one another that's just pushing the other to be better than the other. In boxing, it's the same thing. In business, it's the same thing. It's vapor and chasing after the wind. You know, I, I often think to myself, if I was Elon Musk, and you've got that first successful startup, like, oh, is that it? Like, I'm happy, I've got crazy money. It never works that way. It's always the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And Solomon has made the nation richer than it's ever been before. He's made it bigger than it's ever been before. He's got an army that protects it, that no one now challenges it. They just want to trade through it, and he's making all the money off all the trade. He's killing it so much, and he looks at everything, and he goes, this is vapor, this is meaningless. And he goes, I just feel like I'm chasing after the wind all the time. I feel like when I stop and I open my hands, nothing's really there. And actually, so often in life, that's what work can be for you and I, no matter how meaningful we may think our job is, and no matter how many of us had dreams of doing that exact occupation, you've done one day in the job and you're like, this is amazing, this is the greatest thing ever. How many weeks is it until you open your hands and you feel like you're chasing the wind? How many weeks is it until you realize, I thought this would fulfill my entire life and existence and it hasn't? How many of us thought, oh, if I could just get a house, if I could just get a home, if I could just get this car, if I could just date that person, if I could just, man, it's just, it's just vapor and striving after the wind. And so when Solomon says that, if we think about our work and our pursuit in that way, being vapor, the problem that you and I have is this, is if you truly think about that for a moment, what it does is it pulls away the very rug you're standing on and you're like, well, what am I standing on? I've wrapped my entire life up in this. Solomon's doing something and he's working on something that's really brilliant. The next thing I wanna talk about is young money, old money, my money, your money. Because if we talk about work on one sense, we talk about that, but actually on the next sense that Solomon wants to talk about, he wants to talk about money, but actually he's not the only guy who talks about money, so Jesus talks about money. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon's a really choice word, and in Christian circles, we have this kind of view of it that is just so purely, unbelievably negative, but in the Jewish context, the way that they saw mammon was actually, it had mammon in itself, no issue. The issue was how, how you use it. It was how you use it. 1 Timothy 1 verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So in Timothy's eyes, he says, money and the love of money can be a point where actually it pushes you away from the, the faith entirely, which is so strange. It's the opposite of what a lot of guys on TV say. huh? So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
And it causes us today, if you don't believe this, it causes us today to dump millions of tons every year of food. You know that? We burn food. We burn spare food to keep the value of the food up. We know people will die of starvation every single day, but we will burn food. Just let that sink in. If you don't believe the love of money is, leads you to all kinds of evil. You see, money is a finite amount. There is a lot of it, but it's a finite amount. So when you live in a society where eight men could fill one golf buggy and have more money than the poorest 50% of the population, and they can carry on in their existence while people starve to death, you realize that actually you get this and you just keep going. And you may think you'd be different, but actually what happens when you get more and you get more and you get more, you never get satisfied. You never get satisfied. It causes you to want more, it causes me to want more, it causes us to buy, to have, to have a desire for more, 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 more. And Timothy says that always leads to walking away from the faith. You know what's funny is I, feel, I believe that God sees value in money because sometimes people say God doesn't see value in money. I, I don't believe that. I think he sees value in money. He sees the value in how you and I use it. Will it be to serve God or will it be to serve or to make ourselves, someone else, something else, or it, money, God? Those are kind of generally the options in how we use it. As Christians, we kind of spend most of our time with the idea of like in the Old Testament teaching of say like um, uh, 10% tithing, that's what goes around. I mean, prosperity gospel gets preached more than tithing nowadays. So, I mean, tithing is, is no longer, I guess, the thing. But people would kind of talk about that a lot. I remember hearing someone who blew my mind. He said that his church was in a bit of a rut and then one of the elders preached a sermon on money because he was in charge of the finance. And he preached on tithing and giving the tithe, but actually the best thing he said was, he said, okay, he did two minutes talking about tithing, what's good about it, what's great about it, and getting the church on board and just pitching the idea, two minutes. The other 40 minutes of his talk was on, now here's how you worship God with the other 90%. Christians have this idea that God is just looking at the 10% or whatever you give to the church, and that is where God sees, and he doesn't see the rest of it. He doesn't see where you and I invest in, in clothing brands that will keep people in slavery. He doesn't see where you and I will invest in things that maintain a system he doesn't see the like God it's almost like God is like I don't know has, has blinkers or, or short term vision uh, I don't want anyone to be deceived today God isn't blind to the 90% of my money or any of our monies Ecclesiastes this is what Solomon had to say he said he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income this is also vapour so you see the problem is when money and when work consistently over time doesn't live up to your expectation. Wow, that's a, that's a big deal. And I think for a lot of men, and I could think of a friend's dad, a neighbor that lived behind my parents, and one other friend's dad, who killed themselves, killed themselves, committed suicide, left, left their, their kids behind because over a period of time, there comes the realization actually that what Solomon's saying is true that this is vaporous, this is meaningless, this doesn't actually hold any significant weight. One of the interesting um, interviews you can see on YouTube that I always love watching is, is Russell Brand. He's just such a funny guy, such a great guy, but he's also a genius and such a brilliant thinker. And he talked openly about celebrity. And he said, all my life I wanted to be famous, I wanted to be doing this kind of stuff. And he goes, and then you finally get it. And he described it as, he described it as ashes in my mouth. That's all it is, it's just, it's just ashes in my mouth. I finally got everything I always dreamed of. Solomon described it a different way to Russell. He said, it's, it's vapor, it's just, 
it's there and it's just, it's just gone. Our world says envy, compete, want more because of what you see. Eye level is buy level in retail. Even though it's a system of values that is killing people literally, starvation, poverty, meaningless. Nelson Mandela said that poverty is a man-made system that is created by the actions of men and could be solved by the actions of men, yet we never solve the system because ultimately we always have a desire to keep up with the Kardashians. I don't blame them for everything, it's just a catchy title. <laughs> so your work's a vapor, your money's vapor. He says wisdom was even vapor last week. He says pleasure was vapor, which was devastating for me. All there is to experience is vapor. All there is to do is vapor. So the question is actually, if you're gonna strip all of this away, this is where people get depressed, this is where people go like, oh my gosh, Ecclesiastes is such a depressing book because when you strip it away, what's left? I remember taking one of my best mates out, we were out having drinks, he got completely wasted. I mean wasted, wasted. The guy's huge, I'm, I'm quite thin, but I used to be like, I was so thin that I went to this church when I used to walk in, in and out for lunch, there was this one lady in her 60s, she's dead now, she's with Jesus, and she'd go, is Andy anorexic? That's what she'd ask in front of me to the pastor I was working with. Every other day, I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for that amazing, inspirational, humiliating moment. And she'd do that kind of constantly to me again and again and again. And he's just absolutely wasted. I'm the skinniest guy known to man. The wind blew, I needed an anchor to stay in place, let alone if I got punched. Like someone can miss me with a punch, I'm going down because the wind took me down. It's like, that's how kind of thin I was. We're out drinking, he's completely wrecked, and he's chatting up these two blonde girls, and there were these two hench, huge skinhead guys. And he's chatting them up, and then they go over, and then they're like, oh, excuse me, that's, that's our girlfriend, that's our date. And my mate just turns and looks at him and goes, you can have them when I'm done. And I'm standing there like, oh God, no. Huge skinheads, windblown Andy. Like, this is not a good scenario. And I remember standing there, just, he turns back, carries on chatting them up. And I'm just standing in between these two huge guys now standing up in front of me. And I'm just like, we can talk about this. You know what I mean? And uh, in the end, I managed to get him out without us dying. I get him in a cab. We're driving, we're going back. I'm holding his head like a puppet because the cab driver keeps going, he's too drunk to be in here. He's gonna throw up, he's gonna throw up. I'm like, he's not, I'm not gonna throw up. I'm doing that with his head, I'm not even kidding you. I carry this ginormous guy up the stairs to his, his bedroom, put him in his bed. His younger brother's in the bunk bed above, who's probably about a year younger than me. And literally, I'll never forget, he just looks up at me completely smashed and goes, but Anzi, when you take away everything, What's left? And then his brother goes, what the have you done to my brother? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about him, man. He's nearly got me killed three occasions tonight. But that's the question with Solomon. When you take all of this stuff away, when you take away pleasure, when you take away work, when you take away money, when you take away wisdom, when you take away all of this stuff, what's left? That's what Solomon calls you to ask. And if you don't want to get wasted by this point, maybe you haven't quite grasped what it is I'm saying this morning. What's left? I've got a few suggestions. Be still and know that I am God. I believe that when we're still and we spend a moment to reflect, not on the meaninglessness of our situation, but on the meaningful nature of Christ, we can have a moment, a shift, where we see through the vapor. We see through the vapor. Eden's middle name is Selah. Now, Selah means to weigh. 
It, it's, it, people think of it as like a pause, it's a, a musical note thing. It kind of is, but it's not really. The Hebrew people would take a moment in the Psalms to weigh up what's been said. So when you see Selah, it is a pause of reflection, but really you're finding the weight. Is there weight in what's been said? Is this, is this got real meaning to it? So Solomon's talking about vapor on the one hand. The Psalmist talks about Selah. Let's take a moment, let's pause. Let's find the weight in this. The Hebrew people understanding of glory is a word kavod, which means weight. And so what happens with this moment is actually when you be still and know that he is God, you have a moment where you weigh up your existence. You weigh up what it is you've invested in. You weigh up your week. You weigh up your family. When we we take a moment and we know who we are in relation to God, what happens is we start to hold the weight of our life in our hands and we start to realize how vaporous it is, how fleeting it is. And that can be so unsettling. It would be unsettling and it would be incredibly depressing for me to have a moment like that if it wasn't for the fact that as I feel out and I find out where the weight is, I find out where the glory is, I find the weight and what Solomon is revealing is as I strip it all back, as I pull away everything, as I ask the fundamental question my paralytic friend asked me, what's left? I'm left with Jesus. I'm left with Jesus. I'm left with the weight of glory. I'm left with God. I'm left with something of meaning that transcends space and time. I'm left with one who the scriptures say reconciled all things to himself, all things, whether that's this universe, the multiverse, maybe even the Marvelverse, who knows, Thanos might get saved in Jesus' universe, I have no idea. He reconciles all things to himself and in that one place I find glory and I find meaning. Because stealing Avengers, there's the moment and it all fades to dust, all these guys. And actually that's what life is like. I think it was Albert Nobel invented dynamite and his brother died and he was a millionaire and his brother was a millionaire and his brother died and in the obituary they put the wrong brother in the obituary so he read his own name in the obituary and it said that Albert Nobel had died who made mass murder more easy more affordable and more convenient a warmonger and as he read that statement he had a moment to realize his entire life was vapor. He'd invested everything in these goals, everything in this mission. He made all this money out of dynamite. And then he realized that when it all gets said and done and he's gone and he's disappeared and the vapor of his life has disappeared and everything is gone, the way everyone's gonna remember him is a mass murdering psychopath who made killing people en masse an easy thing. And do you know what he did in that moment? He freaked out, he panicked. He made a decision in his life and he created a fund and he created prizes that are given for peace, given for science and for literature, the Nobel Peace Prize. That's where it comes from. Because he had a moment, like Solomon asks you and I to, where we strip it back, where we just hold our life and we take it and we go, how much weight is there really in this? That when everything is said and done, where everything fades away, what meaning is gonna be found in this life? What does God do all this for? We are saved. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are his workmanship, created for good works. We are saved not by our works, but we are saved for good works. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's whether your treasure and your heart is going to be connected to God, his mission, what he wants to do in this world, the, the difference we can make people's lives, the love that we can express, or whether we want to be vested in vapor. If you believe this is true, what, you need, what do you need to do different? Well, I'm gonna steal a line from Oxfam. I'm gonna end just two things now. 
Give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Give a man the means to fish, you feed him for life. Give a man the gospel, you feed him for eternity. That's the difference maker. You can give a man the means to fish, and that's great. We're going to feel great about it. You can give him the means to fish, you give him the gospel for eternity. I was at a church leaders meeting where all these Anglican guys were together talking about um, the welfare state and the church, and everyone in the room was convinced that when the welfare state was born and took away power from the church, they were like, well, the church lost its identity because when you take this away from the church, there's nothing else for the church to do. And I was looking around the room going, you guys are cray-cray. What are you talking about? There's nothing else to do. The good things the church does in community, helping the poor and stuff, that's secondary or tertiary. We're here to solve problems for eternity. We're not here to solve problems for five minutes. Like, I'm not saying we don't do those things. We do do those things, and churches need to do those things. But actually, we can never look away from the fact that separation forever out God is the main thing. Sharing faith, sharing the gospel, share your testimony are the most wonderful things you can ever give to another person. Um, I announced it last week, and I'm going to be drip-feeding information about it this week. I'm going to end on, on these last two, this last thing. Um, we're going to be launching a new location in East London. We're going to need to raise by January around about £1,000 in total. Um, I'm not saying that's got to come from everyone in the room, so don't like freak out or anything like that. There's churches we're writing to and all different kinds of support we're getting, things like that. But one of the amazing ways that you can do such an amazing thing this year end, and especially this Christmas, because Christmas is the one time of year where everyone turns up to the birthday boy's party and we walk away with presents and he doesn't. I don't know if anyone's ever noticed how weird that is as a, as a system. I notice that's weird. So for me, I'm giving my Christmas present this year to Jesus. I want to gift him a new church. I want to gift him a new location. And I want to have a space that people can come in East London. Um, we're a little bit different. Um, and I believe that we can create something special for them. Um, the last thing I want to say is you can give a gift that no one else on the planet can give. When you serve at City Hill, um, when you get involved, whether it's hosting team, whether it's the worship team, which we have the first Sunday of every month, whether you get involved in City Light and the kids' team, normally we have an average of about four kids on a Sunday that you can just help shape their futures and their destinies. You are giving a unique gift no one else can give. And also we're going to be launching an outreach team for East London. You can get involved in any of those things and you give something wonderful and something that lasts. And um, I'm going to pray for us and um, I'm going to wrap this up here and now. Father, I thank you, Lord, that actually when we review our lives, when we take a moment to step out of the system, to step out of the habits, step out of the, the routine. The Father, so often we invest all that we are into things that actually are vaporous. Everyone in the world around us and everyone about us wants us to invest everything we have into just chasing more for ourselves, I guess maybe to justify that everyone else is doing it and make everyone else feel good about it too. Father, we live in a world that would rather the price of food stay high and people died than live. That's the world we live in. We live in a world where eight men could fill a golf buddy, buggy, have half the money available on the planet, who could solve all the problems we face and challenges in the most deprived areas of society, but they don't. That's the world we live in. And people look up and respect those people, and they chase and envy and want to be like them. Father, we support and live in such a vaporous system. I pray, Lord, that this week we would start to discover the things that are of eternal worth. I thank you, Father, that this book actually isn't a depressing book. It's a book that wakes us up to realizing what actually matters in our world. I pray, Father God, that each one of us here today would start to invest our lives into something that actually matters, that our goal wouldn't just be ourselves, but the love of the person next to us, our neighbor, that we meet at any point during the week. Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you heal us, Father. And I pray that we wouldn't be people that eye level is by level, but our eye level would see the other person in front of us as we see you. And that we would love them 
as we would love you because of the love that you've first given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.